Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message impacts you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, this morning I have the privilege once again to share a little bit from the Word of God. Um, I'm just going to be making a few announcements as I go, um, all in the Word of God. I believe um, God has given me a few announcements to share with the, with the church. Amen. Now, one of the most powerful parables that I find very intriguing, like what uh, Alicia has already mentioned, we are sharing about parables today, is in the book of Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. Now, this is where Jesus is talking about the prodigal son. There's a couple of um, passages before that where he is introducing what to me will be one of the greatest comeback stories. So he talks about a shepherd who loses one sheep and then goes to find that one. And then he talks about how much rejoicing there is over that one that is found. And then he goes again and talks about a woman who loses a coin out of a ten. And out of those ten, she goes and seeks for that one until she finds it. And he talks about how much rejoicing there is in heaven over that one that is found. Now we get to the book of Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. And the word of God says, and Jesus continued. Now when you look at the first two, it, it almost looks like he's just talking about animals and he's talking about money. But God is not so much concerned about animals as he is about you. He is not so much concerned about the coin as he is about you. The story here is a story of love. It is a story of the heart of the father. Now the young man, the word of God says, he approaches his father and says, give me the share or my share of my inheritance. And then the word of God says in the book of Luke chapter 15 verse number 13, soon after that, the word of God says he dwells or he goes into a far country where he spends everything that he has and he begins to be in want. Verse number 17, the word of God says, after a while, he comes back to his senses because at this stage, he has now hired himself out and is looking after pigs because he was hungry. After a while, he thinks to himself and says, I am going to arise and I'm going to go back to the father. How many of my father's hired servants have got enough to eat and to spare? I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against, against you. Don't take me as one of your sons, but take me as your hired servants. And then in verse number 28, the word of God says, he gets up and he goes. So first decides he's going to go. And then he actually carries on and actually does it. It's one thing to decide to do one thing. And it's another thing to take the step to actually do it. The word of God says in, the, in, 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 in 28. He gets up and he goes. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm here to announce this morning. Maybe you're in a group of people who say. Maybe I've wandered and gone far away from God. 
And maybe you are in the church, but you, are also not, you, you feel like you're not as close to God as you, as you should be. The word of God says, and the announcement that I'm here to make to you today is, come. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I'm here to announce that heaven says, come. Talk to me, church. I'm here to say, heaven says to you, come. Now, he starts rehearsing before he even gets to the father. I'm going to say to my father when I get there, how are we doing on time, Mirela? How much? He starts to premeditate on what he's going to say to the father. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to say to my father, father, I've sinned against you. He is trying to look for a way to put it to, so that it's acceptable before God. He's trying to find the right way so that he can be acceptable before God or before his father. He says, I'm going to say to my father, he keeps on running this thing, running this thing, and running this thing, and running this thing. And then the word of God says, while he's away, while he's a long way off, the father spots him, and the father runs towards him, falls on his, on his neck, and kisses him. Now listen to me, church. This boy is still filthy. He's still feeling guilty. He's still feeling, he's still smelling of where he's just come from. But the word of God, the father falls upon him and he kisses him. Now, he's, now he starts saying to the father, Father, I'm sorry, I, I see this young man trying to run what he's been premeditating all along. When the father does not even respond to what he's saying, he looks at the servants and says, Go and get a rope. Go and get a ring. And go and get some sandals. And go and kill the fattened calf. I read a post by, one, uh, by my, my father who raised me, Bishop Nea, on um, Facebook. And he says, while this young man was busy rehearsing on what he was going to say to the father, the father was busy preparing a welcome party for him. So while you are thinking, can I go back to God? Can I really do this? God is preparing a welcome party for you. While you are thinking, can I really walk back? I'm here to announce that God is already preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. While I was praying for this message, I heard the word guilt. I'm going to touch this one a little bit. The young man must have felt guilty of what he did. Mirella, how are you doing on time? Good, two minutes to round up. Oh my God. The young man must have felt guilty of what he had done. But the father straight away orders a robe, a ring, and some sandals. He doesn't say, go and wash yourself because you can be careful, you can put on a robe. He clothes him with a robe. He is not waiting with judgment, but he's waiting with open arms. Oh my God. Now, the rope, the ring, and the sandals, they were not measured for size. They were already there waiting for him. 
When you decide to come to God, or when you decide to come back to the Father, regardless of where you have been, it's already waiting for you. One of the most powerful things that God ever said to me was, you can come to me with anything. Which means even the ugly stuff. I'm here to make an announcement as I finish. That joy is for you and it's already waiting for you. Peace is for you and it's already waiting for you. The anointing is for you and it's already waiting for you. Talents are for you and they are already waiting for you. Giftings are for you and they are already waiting for you. What you might have lost is for you and it's already waiting for you. Forgiveness is waiting for you. Life is for you. Success is for you. Marriage is for you. I wrote this down and I said, restored marriages. And I got a chiding from the spirit to say, just say marriage is for you. Because there are some people saying, oh, maybe this is not for me. But I'm here to announce that also marriage is for you. And it's not a coincidence I'm mentioning it. Success is for you. Healing is for you. The blood is for you. Healing is for you. Health is for you. God is for you. The Holy Ghost is for you. Jesus is for you. Whatever the canker has eaten, whatever the worm has eaten, the word of God says, God is a God of restoration. Even for you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Just shout amen with me, somebody. Shout hallelujah with me, somebody. Shout hallelujah with me, somebody. Joy is for you. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Restoration is for you. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Restoration is for you. Oh my God. Just close your eyes and I'll pray. Oh my God. Father, we thank you for your word even this day. I thank you for restoration that has been taking place as I spoke. I thank you for chains that have been broken as I spoke. The guilty walk back to you, O oh God, in boldness of faith. For we know that we know that we know that we know that Jesus, you've done it all for us on the cross. Oh my God, I thank you for life that has been changed and transformed. In the mighty name of Jesus, I give you glory. I give you glory. I give you glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So it's uh, my privilege next to work, uh, welcome Andrew Sipkis to the stage. We're getting our fair share of the Sipkis family this morning, which I personally love. I love the Sipkis family. Andrew uh, is an extraordinary human being. Uh, <laughs> he's got a smile on his face because he didn't know how I was going to introduce him this morning. Uh, businessman extraordinaire, but uh, incredible heart, Andrew. Andrew has one of those abilities to uh, speak about personal experience in a way that uh, you can really relate to. And uh, he's an incredibly good friend. Uh, his wife, beautiful Sarah, they've been coming to our church for quite a period of time now. They have five children, five children. So, and gorgeous children they are too. You're doing a great job as a dad. Uh, and they are also foster caring for two of those. So, uh, this is a man you want to hear from. And uh, we look forward to it this morning. Yeah? 
Halleluja, Halleluja, Halleluja! Oh, no, sorry, it's not the same coming from a white guy. It's just... All right, I might have to find some other way to start, I think. So I will start with a confession. And... No... Okay, so not that kind of confession. James is sitting up the front rubbing his hands together like he wants a juicy story. No, not that kind of confession. But I struggle in church sometimes. And one of the, in particular, the things that I struggle with in church is when we talk about loving Jesus. We sing songs about loving Jesus. We, we talk about loving Jesus. But I struggle with that. So just to be clear, I don't mean the concept of loving God. I mean the sort of emotional, personal, connection, feeling type loving towards the person of Jesus. And I've, I've struggled with that for a long time. And I've often wondered why it is, and I think, I don't really know why, but part of it might be because as a man, expressing a man-to-man love is... It's difficult sometimes and kind of hard to articulate. It's part of it. Part of it is because God the Father is, is big and almighty and I can worship God the Father and, you know, I know I'm small and he's big and, and I know how that works, but how does it work with Jesus? And um, Perhaps it's I don't really understand fully who he is and that's why I struggle with it. So the parable I'd like to talk about this morning is actually a parable that has helped me in my understanding of who Jesus is along that journey. Okay, but first let me set the context before I tell you what the parable is. So Jesus had been a public figure for about three years at this stage. He'd been teaching people to love each other. He'd been healing them. He'd been doing amazing signs. He'd been gathering a throng of followers. And throughout all of this part of his journey, Jesus is portrayed as this kind, caring, compassionate, amazing teacher who people just sort of flocked around. And this this three years culminates in his journey towards Jerusalem as he's walking into the city for what would be the last time. And a huge crowd appears and they're all cheering and shouting and uh, they rip branches off trees and they put them on the road. They throw their coats down in front of him it like becomes this amazing parade into Jerusalem. You know, a bit like down Macquarie Street last weekend, the Christmas pageant. Down the middle of the city. The city stops for it, but there's only one person in the pageant. And everyone is surrounding him, celebrating him as he's welcomed into the city as everyone's hero. And then right in the middle of that, in the middle of that being everyone's hero in the centre of the city... He does something really unusual, something very unexpected. He picks a fight, a massive fight, in fact. He runs into the courtyard outside the temple in the heart of the city. He grabs a whip and he runs in and he starts flinging it around and he kicks over the tables of all the people who are doing business in this courtyard. He's yelling, he's smashing things. 
He is causing chaos. He's letting the animals go. There's chickens flying around. It's, it's bedlam. And everyone is absolutely shocked that this guy who'd been celebrated as a hero is doing this crazy thing that no one quite knows what to do. And then he leaves for the night. And so you can imagine the intrigue. Who? What? So when he comes back the next morning, you can imagine the crowd and the anticipation that's going on as they hang on what he's about to do. And he starts teaching. But pretty soon that teaching turns into a debate with the religious leaders at the time. And this is not a normal, civilised, just disagreement or strongly worded letter to the editor about a cable car. Or, you know, this is an ugly public spat. And it gets very nasty. And ultimately, it's the thing that leads to Jesus being arrested and beaten up and executed is this fight that he picks. As the fight goes along and this debate goes along, the religious leaders on the other side try to trap Jesus with some of those lose-lose type questions that you can't answer properly. But every single time, he outwits them and throws the questions back at them. And then he starts telling parables about them. Let me just read just one of those parables from Matthew 21. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, the man sent his servants to collect his share of the fruit. But the tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another and stoned a third. So the man sent more servants to them and the tenants treated them in exactly the same way. Last of all, the man sent his son. They'll respect him, he thought. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes back, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They replied, this is the religious leaders replying to Jesus. And then he will rent the vineyard out to other tenants who will give him his share of the crops. So Jesus replied to them, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and will be given to people who produce fruit. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Jesus is clearly having a go at these guys. (laughs) And then he ups the ante even further and he launches into a a tirade of criticism at them and he just yells out to them, woe to you, a dozen times and says some pretty (laughs) amazing stuff about them. He says, you're attention-seeking, you're self-important. You're self-indulgent, you're wicked, you're hypocritical. You are cast out of God's kingdom. You are children of hell. His words. Blind, fools, snakes and murderers. Okay, so clearly he's not holding anything back. 
And I love that story. Why do I love that story so much? I love it because it shows me a different side to Jesus. A side that's made me respect him and admire him and, dare I say, even love him. Because seeing him pick this fight makes me realise that there's so much more to him than just gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Which is how so much of the story up to this point, you could see it through that lens. But here we see that Jesus got furious and so angry about injustice and he spoke up about a system that was wrong. And against the leaders who were just faking it. He had authority and people listened because he stood up to the bullies. He was the smartest man in the room and just ran rings around everyone. And he used his reputation as that hero walking down Macquarie Street, being celebrated for the benefit of those who had nothing of their own. So this is no gentle Jesus, meek and mild, lying down with the lambs, on green pastures, singing, the hills are alive. (laughs) This is a man's man, this Jesus. That's the kind of man I would cheer for. And that's the kind of man that I'd want on my side. And that's the kind of man I'd want to know better. So let me just close with an encouragement. When you read and hear Jesus' parables and speeches... Look beyond just the story to what about him is actually being revealed uh, through his interaction with that audience. Because after all, the goal of being a Christian is not just to know what he says, but to actually know him. And I found that by doing that through parables like this, when I see this Jesus who is uncompromising and injustice-hating and intelligent and bold, that I've come to admire him and respect him and perhaps even move forward in that journey of loving him. Thanks, Andrew. That's amazing. That song this morning, Justice Rolls On Like a River, doesn't that just inspire inspire us? Make a difference. Awesome. So to uh, round out our incredible three this morning, Kel Dunn. Now, if you haven't met Kel before, she is a pocket rocket, amazing, passionate, <laughs> passionate and powerful communicator of the Word of God. Kel, you've got four children, so she's a mother extraordinary, a chained teacher, been with our church for a long period of time now. Yep, same as eight and a half years. Eight and a half years, and has the patience of an angel because her husband is a cyclist just like mine, and I understand your pain. <laughs> but she's worth listening to, so let's get excited while Kel shares. Awesome. Okay, turn to the person next to you and say, This is great. Turn to the person on the other side and say, We're not winding down, we're revving up. My favourite parable is also the lost son. So it's a little bit embarrassing to go after Clinton, (laughs) but we'll try our best. Another uh, title we use for the story of the lost son is also the story of the prodigal. 
son. And the, the word prodigal actually means wastefully extravagant. And if you look at the story of the lost son, the younger son is indeed wastefully extravagant. He wastes his father's finances. He wastes his heritage. He wastes his grace. He wastes so much stuff. And so in that regard, the story is a story about a prodigal son. But, you know, if you look up the word prodigal in the dictionary, it also has another definition. And that definition is to give on a lavish scale. And so I would argue that this story is not so much the story of a prodigal son. Instead, it's a story about a prodigal father. It's a story about a lavish father. It's a story about a generous father. It's a story about a redeeming father. And it's actually part three of a series Jesus did on lost things, which Clinton ran us through. He talked to us about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. But the reason why I love the story about the lost son the most is because it's not just about the search for a creature that's to be pitied. It's not just about the search for an item that has use, but it's about the search for a restored relationship. And that's why I love this parable. And it starts off like this. There was a man that had two sons. Somebody say two. Say it again, two. And the younger son says to the father, Father, I want my inheritance. Show me the money. And there was nothing really inherently wrong with that in the culture at the time. So the father obliges. As per the custom, the father gives the oldest son a double portion. He gets two thirds of his father's estate and the younger son gets the remaining third. It says in verse 12 of this story that as soon as the younger son had the opportunity to do so, he got out from underneath his father's authority and he wasted his life and his possessions with prodigal living. When he had blown all his money, he began to be in want and a famine arose in the land. Somebody say, what a coincidence. And he thought what he did is he signed on with the citizen of that country And that citizen just happened to give him the job of slopping the pigs, of feeding the pigs. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, you will know that pork and eating pork is not not with their law. It's not kosher to eat pork. And yet here we have this young Jewish man actively participating in the farming of pigs. And you know, I've heard it preached that that's how rebellious that younger son was, that he would actively go against everything that he'd been taught and go against his father's will and farm farm those pigs. But I kind of look at it a little bit different. You see, I think that man was so starving, he would do whatever it took to get himself some shelter and some food. And you know, sometimes we can find ourselves in that position too. Sometimes we can be so hungry for, for approval, so thirsty for recognition, so starving for some meaning in our life. It can cause us to do things that we never thought we would do before. And yet somehow we find ourselves there. It says the man was so hungry that he would have ate the food that he was feeding the pigs, but he wasn't allowed. And he finally came to himself and he thought, you know what, the the servants in my father's house, they have heaps to eat. And here I am starving. What I'll do, I'll, I'll go back to my father's house and I'll say to him, could you make me like one of your servants? And so the younger son girds himself up and he begins the long journey back to his father's house. 
And on the way, he begins to rehearse this speech. And Clinton spoke about this. Lord, I've, uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me like one of your hired servants. And he's rehearsing this and practicing this. And it says in verse 20 of the story that while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and fell upon him and embraced him. Do you know, isn't it interesting that that young son with all his journeying and with all his speech preparation and all his efforts, how far it got him to his father? In verse 20, a great way off. Our own efforts, our own works, our own preparations, how close does it get us to our Father in heaven? It gets us a great way off. The Bible says that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before him. The Father falls upon him and he puts a ring on his finger and a cloak on him and shoes on his feet. And the son goes to say his speech, but he actually doesn't get one word out of his speech. And I love that because it was actually something inherently wrong with his speech. You see, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Church, when was he ever worthy to be called that man's son? If my firstborn rider came to me and said, Mom, I've had a horrible week. I've been terrible. I've been rebellious. I haven't listened. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'd say this to him. I'd say, mate, you're not my son because of the things you do. You're my son because you were born to me. And the same thing goes with our heavenly father. We're not his sons and daughters because of the things we do, church. We're his sons and daughters because we were born to him. We are sons and daughters by our birth, not by our worth. And so the father kills the fatted calf and they throw a huge party and they celebrate Because this son that was once lost is now found. This son that was once dead to him is now alive. And it's such a beautiful picture of how heaven celebrates when one person, just one person comes to the Lord and is restored in relationship with the heavenly father. And so often that's where the story ends. But how many sons were there? Sorry, how many? Two sons. And if I'm to be completely honest with you, The son that I can relate to the most is not that exciting, live on the edge, prodigal younger son. It's the boring, type A, judgmental, rule-orientated older son. That's me. I'm a firstborn. (laughs) And it says that the firstborn, the older son sees the party that the father throws for the younger son and he gets ticked off. He gets frustrated. He thinks, I've been here many years faithfully serving. I've never had a party thrown for me. And it says that he refuses to go and be with the younger son and he refuses to go into the party where his father also is. And he separates himself from the father's presence and goes out to the field. But verse 28 in Luke 15 says this, the father went out to the field and pleaded with the older son. It doesn't matter if you can relate more to the younger son or if you're more like the older son or if you're somewhere in between. The father's search actually extends to us all. 
He is looking for all of us to restore us to relationship with himself. And so the reason why I love this parable is for me, it grounds me, it reminds me of all that God has done for me, of all that he has done in my life, the change he has brought about, and it it helps me to see the rest of my life. And on this, C.S. Lewis, who is amazing, says, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun that shines, not because I see it, but because by it I see all else. And so the reason I love this prodigal, this, this parable of the prodigal son is because by it, I see everything else in my life. It all makes sense. Thank you for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message has impacted you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us at c3hobart.org.au.